0: All right, we're in the book of Esther, Esther chapter 4. While you're finding your place in Esther chapter 4, let's be reminded that we are talking about events that were divinely providential in the days of Esther, Queen Esther, and her cousin Mordecai. Esther and Mordecai find themselves in the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. The king is Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, Xerxes the first. And the king had a disagreement with the queen, Queen Vashti. He deposed her and then selected, among the various other candidates, Esther. And that's what happened in Esther, Chapter 2. Esther and Mordecai are cousins. And Mordecai, being one of the officials of the king, heard about a plot against the king and informed Esther. And Esther informed the king. The plot was discovered. And the two men were executed. Now, in chapter 3, there is another official of the king named Haman. Haman is in a very high position, and he expected divine kind of allegiance, uh, homage to be done by the officials, but Mordecai refuses to do so. Well, Haman, in retaliation, wants to annihilate and destroy all the Jews throughout the whole Persian Empire. A decree is issued, payment is made, and a decree is issued. And this decree is issued in Susa the capital and also throughout the whole realm of the Persian Empire. That's where we pick it up in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. And he went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him. But he did not accept him. Then Esther summoned Hathach, from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So Hathach went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the texts of the edict, which had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her, and to order her to go in to the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. And Hathach came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these thirty days." and they related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. At the end of chapter 3 and verse 15, it says that when the couriers went out and distributed this decree throughout the realm and in Susa the capital, in Susa the capital, it says specifically the city of Susa was in confusion, 315. Mordecai is among one of those who are there And he knows exactly what has happened. He knows about the transaction. He knows exactly what has happened. He knows about the text of the decree. And this is his response. Verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. Mordecai, with full knowledge of what has transpired, he tears his clothing... He wears sackcloth, rough clothing. It's rough and hairy clothing that he wore. And he has uh, ashes, puts on ashes. Ashes that he, he, he throws on his head and even puts some on his head to demonstrate his deep grief. This is a common action that is done in the Old Testament. When there is deep mourning, deep grief, when they are agitated over some news that they have heard, they respond in this way. They demonstrate their grief like this. Job did this. Job tore his clothes when he heard about all the destruction that had happened to him and his possessions. And even his own family died. And as well, Job's friends, when they saw Job and they saw the miserable way in which he looked as they approached him, they did the same. They tore their clothes and they put uh, sat on ashes. And Daniel the prophet, when Daniel the prophet in Daniel 9 verse 3, when he heard about the destruction of Jerusalem, he also, while he as an official in the court of the king of Persia, he also, he, he demonstrates his grief by doing similarly. That's what Mordecai does here. And he goes about into the middle of the city wailing loudly and bitterly. This is uncontrollable demonstration of grief. Verse 2, He went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Outside of the king's gate was the city square. And he was only able to go that far and not into the king's gate because no one With this kind of clothing, this sad, despondent kind of clothing, was able to go into the king's gate. Presumably, the king only wanted those people who were cheerful and happy to be around him. Because if somebody's in grief, what's the potential that could happen? If somebody's upset, somebody's in grief, then there could be violence that breaks out. And so this was a policy for no one to be coming into the king's gate, no officials were to come that close to the king, clothed in sackcloth. Verse 3, And in each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Not only did Mordecai respond like this, But the rest of the Jews, wherever they heard this, they all alike responded because they hear about their imminent death just months away, their planned destruction. They hear of this and they weep, they wail, they fast, they put on sackcloth and ashes. They do this. Why did Mordecai do this and why did the Jews do this? They did this because they are pleading with God. They realize their temporal, ephemeral, transient nature. They realize they came from dust and they're going to return to dust. And that dust to them is imminent. It's going to come sooner than later. Those who are weeping and pleading with God respond in this way. This is typical. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 verse 12. Joel two twelve. In this passage, God is calling the people to repent of their sin. Joel 2.12 Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether... He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a libation for the Lord your God. He calls, Joel calls on the people to repent with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And when he says, rend your heart and not your garments, he means don't tear your garments as a show. Actually have a, a repentant heart, a broken heart, a torn heart toward God. And when God knows that and He sees that, He may respond with grace, compassion, slow to anger, loving-kindness, and relent of evil. The evil that is imminent, it may be averted by pleading for the mercy of God. That's what the people do. They behave like this in order for God's mercy to come upon them. This also is what the Ninevites did. The Ninevites did this in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah preaches to a foreign city, a foreign city, the Assyrian city, capital city at the time, the city of Nineveh, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. In Jonah 3.5, when he preached to the people of Nineveh, it says, 3, five. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. When God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them and he did not do it. In the same way, that's what Mordecai and the Jews are doing. They are pleading with God, imploring God to deliver them from this decree. Verse 4. Then Esther's maidens, Esther 4 4. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. The maidens of Esther. The, those who are helpers and servants to Esther they inform her of this the eunuchs also the eunuchs are men who have been castrated they don't have any ability to cause problems among the women so they are in charge of keep, keeping them protected and giving them whatever their needs are well these eunuchs and the maidens inform Esther she hears of it and she rides in great anguish She hears that there is imminent destruction of all the Jews. She has heard that. And because of that, she presumably wants to know more. We will see that Mordecai tells her some things that would only be known by Mordecai or somebody on the inside, not in the actual decree. So what does Esther do? She hears that Mordecai, is in sackcloth so she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him but he did not accept them if Mordecai were properly clothed then he could enter the king's court into the gate and have closer and greater access to the, the queen and she could at least be in his proximity where he could inform other officials and all but Mordecai does not want to do that he wants to stay in his sackcloth because of his deep grief. Verse 5. Because he did not accept them. Verse 5. Then Esther summoned Hathach from the king's eunuchs whom the king had appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. She wants to know all the details and why exactly. She assumes that Mordecai, having closer access to the king and the king's business, would know more, which is true. So one of the king's eunuchs, she sends Hatak to go and inquire about the further details. Verse 6, so Hatak went to Mordecai, to the city square, in front of the king's gate. He goes there and he goes out there in order to uh, communicate with Mordecai. Verse 7, Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. The exact amount of money and everything that he knew, which was more details than Hatak and Esther knew. Chapter 3, verse 9 says that it was 10,000 talents of silver that Haman was willing to put in the king's treasuries so that the king's officials could carry out this massacre. This kind of information is what Mordecai gave to Hatak. Verse 8, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show Esther, and inform her and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. Not only does he give the verbal information, he gives the written information, a copy of the text of the edict, this edict to massacre and wipe out all the Jews in the empire. That way, Esther's not just hearing it from Mordecai to Hathok, although both of them were reliable men, she would also have it right there in front of her so that she knows it's a fact. Mordecai's reaction, all the Jews' reaction, what Hathach and uh, and the other the eunuchs and the maidens had heard, all of this was actually true. This is in order to cement into Esther's mind that these things that she has heard are actually true, and that it's necessary, based on these facts, to act in accordance with those facts, so that she might deliver the people and not only the people but notice verse 8 says her people she knows that she will be included in this destruction she knows that it has not so far registered to the point that it motivates her to action we see that we will see that Mordecai has to persuade her and he does verse 9 Haza came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these thirty days. And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. Esther explains that no one is permitted to go to the king according to his own will or whim. No one can approach the king just like that. This would be understandable. If just anybody on the street wanted access to the king, any, anyone could easily go and assassinate the king. His life would be in jeopardy. It's understandable that there would be some rules, some laws in order to protect the king and his officials, those who are very close to him, such as the the seven princes of the Persian Empire, and therefore this law. And the only exception is if the king extends the golden scepter to the one who comes unannounced, who comes without permission. And Esther says... I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. We don't know why she had not been summoned for 30 days, yet she wasn't. She says, I haven't been summoned for 30 days. It's unpredictable when I will be summoned. Since it's been 30 days, it may be longer. And you want me to act immediately, I don't know. It may not happen. And I haven't been called. And since I haven't been called... Likely, there was a procedure to request access to the king. But with that petition, it is likely that with a petition, if she were to ask the king for access, that she would have to explain. She would have to set a time and explain and so on and so forth. And if she had to do that, then Haman, who is next to the king, he might learn of it, and he might object to it. Perhaps that is the reason why she is saying this. I haven't been called. I know you want me to just go up there because that's the best way to have access to him, for me to have access to the king without being delayed or, or completely ignored with this request. Mordecai says in verse 13, Then Mordecai told them, to reply to Esther. Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. That's correct. She's a Jewess. She's also a part of all the Jewish people and one person or another inevitably, eventually would know as they confirm who's a Jew and who's not in this time period from the first month to the 12th month of the year. They would be doing that, and she will not escape. He says so. Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. If all the Jews are going to be put to death, they're going to carry out this edict in great detail, and they're going to find out that you are a Jew and put you to death. 14, he's confirming to her, her life is in jeopardy. She needs to have that on the forefront because she's not thinking about that. 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. If she remains silent, Mordecai is confident that relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Whether she acts responsibly to deliver her own people, whether she acts responsibly or irresponsibly, it's going to happen. There will be relief and deliverance for the Jews from another place. This expression, from another place, we may call this a, a circumlocution, a roundabout way, a roundabout saying to say that God is going to appoint somebody else in order to deliver us. Or there may be a direct miracle of God to deliver us. Why do I say so? Sometimes in the Bible, one common example is uh, Matthew. Uh, Matthew is primarily in reference to the kingdom of God Most of the time when he is speaking of God in in this phrase, kingdom of God, he says kingdom of heaven. And the parallel accounts in Mark and and Luke will say kingdom of God. A circumlocution is a roundabout way of referring to God without saying God. Like Matthew Matthew 3.2. When John the Baptist preaches, it says, He came into the wilderness of Judea saying... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Whereas in Mark, Mark 1, 14 and 15, when Jesus is speaking and he speaks of the kingdom of God, uh, he do- actually does say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, that happens in Matthew. That's one place where we find it. It's also noteworthy that, according to one manuscript of the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, that there are common ways that they use to translate the name of God other than God. They choose to do so in that Greek Old Testament text. Another one is Josephus. Josephus was a Jew of the first century, a contemporary of the apostles. He wrote as a Jew, he wrote uh, for the Roman government a history of the Jewish people. He also refers to God in uh, circumlocution. And in fact, he uses the word place. He refers to God in terms of place. Instead of saying God, he often says place. As well, the Aramaic Targums the Aramaic targums have this propensity as well. They, it's not as though they completely ignore saying God, but they come up with synonyms and other ways of referring to him without saying the name God. The Aramaic Targums, which are translations of the Old Testament Hebrew text. Therefore, it is quite likely that Mordecai is referring to God. God either directly or through human agents will bring about a deliverance for the people. Let's look at a couple of examples of this, how God regularly uses human agents to deliver His people or to even have unbelievers act in accordance with the will of God. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2 Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 30 Deuteronomy 2.30 But Sihon king of Heshbon was not willing for us to pass through his land for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand as he is today. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to occupy that you may possess his land. Israel's in the wilderness under Moses, and Sihon is an enemy on the eastern side of the Jordan River. He comes and attacks Israel. He's unwilling for Israel to pass through his territory. Why is he unwilling, and why is his unwillingness something that drives him to attack Israel and then Israel to defend themselves and defeat him in war. Why and how do all of these human actions take place? It says in verse 30 and 31, For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand. He, God hardened his spirit so that he would be delivered into the hand of Israel. And in verse 31, See, I have begun to deliver Sihon and his land over to you. Because God ordained it to happen, therefore it happened. Israel had the upper hand, and Sihon lost. Joshua, Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11. Joshua 11, verse 20. Now Joshua... Heads the people and they are conquering Canaan. These are some of the Canaanite kings mentioned in chapter 11 who are defeated under Joshua's leadership. And how did this happen? Joshua eleven twenty, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts to meet Israel in battle in order that He might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that He might destroy them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The duty of Joshua and Israel is to destroy the Canaanites. Well, how does this come about? It comes about because God hardens the hearts of the Canaanites. They engage Israel in war. Israel defeats them in war so that the Canaanites receive no mercy. Human action and God's action, both at work. And one more example will be a principle... Stated in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, 16 verse 1. Proverbs 16, 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The plans of the heart belong to man. Yes, man does actually plan, think, muse. He does carry out what is inside him. But it also says the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. What actually takes place, takes place because God has ordained it. Chapter 16, verse 9. Chapter... 16 verse 9 the mind of man plans his way but the Lord directs his steps the mind of man plans his way does man plan? yes is man responsible for planning? yes but the Lord directs his steps verse 10 a divine decision is in the lips of the king his mouth should not err in judgment a divine decision is in the lips of the king When the king decides, he decides because God has ordained for him to decide. And to continue that thought, Proverbs 21, 1. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God turns the heart of the king wherever God wishes. The king is mentioned here in 21.1 and in 16, verse 10, but that doesn't mean that God only does it for kings. What it means is even a powerful man like a king is subservient and submissive to the will of God. That's the point. That's the point, because we've already seen in 16.1 and 16, verse 9 that God does this generally, He does this with every person. Even. To the king. Now, this is what Mordecai means, and this is what Esther understood. She understood that she was responsible for her actions and that she should act in accordance with righteousness, in accordance with truth. Innocent people were about to die, they had committed no crime against Ahasuerus or any crime against Haman that they deserved all of them in mass to die. They were innocent. And because they were innocent, the righteous, right, truthful, honest, courageous thing to do was to defend them, to do what was necessary to defend them. And she knew she was responsible for it. Mordecai reminds her of that and that God would use her or use somebody else in order to deliver the Jews. One more point to note. In Esther 4.14, why is it that Mordecai has confidence that the Jews would be delivered? Why does he have confidence that the Jews would be delivered? Notice, too, in chapter 6, Esther 6.13, Esther 6.13, it says that The wife of Haman, Zeresh, and his friends, they knew something. Esther 6.13 And Haman recounted to Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him. But will surely fall before him. They knew that if Mordecai was a Jew, that Haman would not succeed in destroying all the Jews. They knew that. How did Mordecai know? How did the Jews know? and how would this word spread to other people, Gentile nations? that were not Jews. How would they know of any of this? It would have to be because of verses like Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Genesis... Actually, let's begin at verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In verse 3, he promises, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Which includes this nation that will come out of Abraham. And it says in verse 3, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How will they be blessed in Abraham? Is it Abraham specifically and finally? No. It's Abraham's ultimate and superior descendant. Genesis 22. Genesis 22, verse 18. Genesis 22:18 says And in your seed and in your seed offspring descendant in the singular all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in Abraham's seed his offspring his descendant his singular descendant How do we know it's singular for one this is the best way and the most accurate way to understand the promises of God and the Hebrew word is singular in Genesis 22:18 and then thirdly Galatians 3:16 the authoritative inspired apostle Paul says in Galatians 3:16 now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. And to your seed, that is Christ. A singular seed, Christ. Esther and Mordecai lived about 500 B.C., 500 to about 450 B.C., roughly in that period. They knew that Christ, the Messiah, still had to come into the world. They knew that the Jewish people needed to be preserved. They knew that Christ would be a blessing to the nations. This is why Mordecai has confidence that relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And 14... Esther 4.14, one more statement he makes. He puts in the form of a question. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? What does he mean by this? He means that Esther... You don't know whether the power that you now have is given to you so that you might use it for good, for truth and righteousness. When you have this power, you're supposed to use it for truth and righteousness. He says, in Proverbs 31, it says the following. In Proverbs 31, the mother of the king, The mother of the king advises the king with this godly wisdom. Proverbs 31, verse 8. Open your mouth for the dumb, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. Open your mouth for the dumb, for for those who are mute, who are unable to speak up whose spoken word has been robbed from them. Speak up for them, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. There she advises the king to do so. Now, obviously, the queen should be righteous too. And this is Queen Esther who has been given this dilemma. Proverbs 24, 11. 24, 11. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this. Does he, meaning God, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? We have to watch out. If we see those being slaughtered, we have to say something. We have to oppose it. God knows our hearts, and we cannot say, I didn't know anything about it. We can't say that, because He will punish us according to our just penalty. And this is what Mordecai says when he says, And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Use the power of, the access, the authority you have in order to help the unfortunate because they're being led away to death. Verse 15, Esther 4.15, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way and thus I will go into the king which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. She calls for this greater fast, more intense fast, for this three-day period of not eating or drinking. And she says that she'll do it, her maidens will do it, they all will do this together, and they will pray to the Lord. That's what they will do. And after this fast, I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, I know that I could die 11 months from now or I could die 3 days from now but I'm willing to risk my life for the sake of truth and righteousness I am ready and willing to die when she says if I perish I perish she's not complaining she's not griping she's resigning herself to the fact that that could be her destiny and she's determined to do it regardless of that miserable consequence that's what she's saying we have examples of that one example is in daniel chapter 3 the three friends of daniel they speak similarly in daniel 3 king nebuchadnezzar the babylonian king has erected a huge idol and he's called on everybody to worship this idol at the sound of the music. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three friends of Daniel, refuse to do so. They are identified, they are confronted, they're brought before the king. He interrogates them. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. He gives them, the king gives them a second chance. His second chances are not as good as God's second chances. Yet, he did give them a second chance. 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image ...that you have set up. They know the power of God. They know He's able to deliver them. They, and they declare, He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They have faith that God will do so. Yet they present the hypothetical. Verse 18, But even if He does not, even if they were assured, even if there was a possibility that they would not be delivered from the fire... The potential of fire is not going to deter them from obedience to God, from practicing truth and righteousness, which means not bowing before an idol. They will not worship a false god, which has a demon behind it. They will not worship an idol. They are willing to be thrown into the fire if God so chooses. And... The prime example we have is John chapter 12. That is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. He knows what awaits him, yet he's determined to proceed. John chapter 12, John twelve twenty seven. Now, my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. There came, therefore, a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The multitude, therefore, who stood by and heard it, were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world, now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Jesus knew he was going to be put to death on a Roman cross. He knew he was going to be, he was going to be flogged and tortured and then put on the cross. He knew that. And what does he say in verse 27? He's troubled. He knows it's going to be painful. He knows he's going to bear our sins. Yet he says, Father, save me from this hour? No, he's not going to say that. He knows, and he is determined that he's going to die for our sins. Well, Esther is not dying for our sins, but she is obeying God. Esther, the three friends of Daniel, and even Jesus himself is willing to obey God that we might be delivered from our sins. Esther 4.17 So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Esther gives this advice to Mordecai that he do likewise. He's agreeable to it. He understands that it all rests on Esther. Now, it all rests on her. So he likewise will pray and fast and plead with God for his mercy. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Okay, let's discuss the passage. Yeah, a couple of things.